something to say. Everybody, how y'all doing today? My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And today, as I promised, we're going to talk about the Crimes of Grindelwald trailer that just came out. Now, I have to say, I don't know if I'm right about it. half of the things that I'm going to say. Some of them I know I am because they're stated in the trailer. So if you watch the trailer, you're already spoiled on those things. But I, I have some weird questions that I wanted to put out there to kind of talk about, see what people think. All right. So while I have no inside knowledge about what's going to happen in this film, I have no relationship whatsoever with JK Rowling, but you know, if that ever happens one day, I'd kind of be all right with it. Maybe, hopefully we'll see. I'm going to, I don't know. It's weird meeting your heroes. Anyway. Um, so, I cannot say for certain that any of the things that I'm going to be talking about are spoilers more than they would be spoilers if you saw them in the trailer, but I have theories that relate to the story going forward. So yeah, take it for what it's worth. I don't know that I'm spoiling anything, but just on the off chance that I'm right about something and you don't want to be potentially spoiled about something that I'm just wildly speculating about. You, you you have been forewarned. Okay, so I'm actually going to focus in on some of the main things that are in the trailers later. Um, there's actually a couple things there that I really want to spend some time talking about. The first one, though, that I feel has to be discussed. So first of all, I'm not exactly her sh who, sure who said it. I thought it was David Key, but it, it kind of sounds like his voice in the trailer. But from all I've been able to see from my research, he's not in this film at all. So somebody else whose voice sounds kind of like his says in the voiceover what I'm sure a lot of people think was a throwaway line. And probably, maybe, was a throwaway line. But for people like me who like to get overly obsessed about stuff, the human and the muggle population have been at peace for over a century. Which means a hundred... Oh, years or more prior to this film they were not at peace this movie is supposed to take place in 1927 so somewhere before 1827 they were apparently at war now i bring this up because if you watch the trailers grindelwald seems to be doing something in a tomb later in the film it looks like a tomb it feels like a tomb it might not be a tomb at all but he, he's kind of surrounded by large statuary that seem to be graves um, some people have been calling it the Colosseum in their discussion of it. it. It felt to me like a graveyard. And that becomes important if this wasn't a throwaway line. Now, this could just be a tension line that the muggles and the magic non-magical people have been at peace for over a century. Um, I, I'm not sure how that works. And the reason I, I say that is because we know that... Newt worked with dragons during the First World War, and we know that Newt's brother was some kind of a war hero. And that matters for how the story is going to end up playing out, at least in the end. 
I think. I might be wrong about that. But, okay, so the reason I'm fixating on this is if they were at peace for 100 years, if the 100 years of peace is a thing, if over 100 years of peace is a thing, then that puts the last time muggles and magic users fought and the Wizarding World fought at around the time of the Napoleonic Wars. So one, you have the fun questions of was Napoleon Bonaparte a muggle or was he a wizard? You know, it'd be really interesting would, for me at least would be if Napoleon was a muggle and Josephine was a witch because I, I think it would be interesting to see her as the real power behind the throne and all this. But I, I, I digress. It's a completely different story. But the reason I bring this up is because when you look back at the wars that and the upheavals that we had in the um, 1800s, you have the Napoleonic Wars, you have the Wars of Independence against the Ottoman Empire that start, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sticking to Europe for this, um, but most of those, most of the upheavals and revolutions started taking place in the 1840s, so really to fit into that hundred year time span we're talking about the napoleonic wars now the reason i bring that up is if the events of the movie involve a throne and remember remember we see zoe kravitz Lita lestrange carrying a skull in each one of the trailers and she's standing next to grindelwald with it I, I don't think that it's just a... I, I don't think she's just being all goth with a skull clutch. I, I think she actually has a skull for a reason. It's a skull of power for some reason. Which, to me, begs the question of, is it the skull of someone from the Napoleonic Wars? Or is it a skull that was used during the Napoleonic Wars? And I know I'm spending way too much time fixated on this one particular little throwaway line, but I, I think there might be something there to unpack. Especially when we know that the decree for um, secrecy and the, reason, the reasonable restriction of underage magic both took place in the 1800s, if I'm remembering correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong about that, but... I definitely remember numbers in the 1800s for those. So those would have been reactions to whatever this last great war was between the um, the Muggles and the Wizarding World. And I have no doubt that Joe thought that out because I, I just know from my own writing, especially when I was for the series that I I have that's an urban fantasy story, I had to kind of ask myself where history diverged when did magic go underground and why and all of that and i picked dates that were important to me that i think mattered and made sense to me and crafted a backstory for them so i would know so basically anything from this date back a major historical figure could be a magical person a wizard of some sort and after that more than likely they're not you know with the rare exceptions here there and yonder and i, I have no doubt i have no reason to doubt that she didn't do that. okay so here's where i think it comes in okay this is my grand scheme my grand thoughts here and whether this matters at all or not i don't know but in the war of the fifth coalition friedrich wilhelm the duke of brunswick i'm sorry the duke of brunswick woolen um, Wolfenbuffer 
British titles. Ah. Anyway, he gathered a group of soldiers to fight Napoleon. They were volunteers. They wore black uniforms. And they were nicknamed the Black Brunswick. Okay? So, the, they and the German Hussars under Friedrich the Great both fought with a Totenkopf on their insignia. Now, a, to- a Totenkopf literally means death, um, deadhead or the head of a dead person. Um, skull and crossbones. Just think of a skull and crossbones. But in this context, think the ancestor of symbols that would be used in Nazi Germany in the future for like the death's head rings that SS officers were given and things of that nature. Okay, so we're, we're, we're in a different lineage of this. But in, in the Napoleonic Wars, you have both of these armies using this skull and crossbones imagery and fighting under the banner of the Totenkopf, of the dead man's head. Now, I don't know if this is, go- you know, who, whose head they're going to attribute it to, but I would almost, if I were a betting man, or lady, if I was a betting person, I, I, I would look at this and really wonder if that's not the skull that Lita Lestrange is carrying in the trailer. That it's the actual Totenkopf, the actual dead man's head, that was why you had both the Prussians and the Brunswickers fighting Napoleon using the symbol of the skull and crossbow. That that's going to be imbued with some meaning some darker meaning that now that, you know, Grindelwald has it, we know, thanks to the Harry Potter books, Grindelwald is not going to be defeated until 1945, which is the end of the First World War. I'm sorry, Second World War. Which means this could be the lineage of the Totenkopf going into the Death Heads rings of the SS and things like that that we see later in the Second World War. That we may be seeing the setup of that through some relic of power that is a skull with crossbones. Yeah, that's why I think it's important. That's why I fixated on that one phrase of the hundred years ago. They're in a tomb. Lita's running around with a skull in her hands. The Totenkopf was a very powerful symbol used by both British and Prussian troops in the war against Napoleon that would later go on to be used in the Weimar Republic and, of course, famously or infamously by the Nazis. So I think that's the skull that Lita has and that that is the little hint that we have. I'm not sure who they're going to attribute this skull to, but I I think that's why it's there. And you heard it here first (laughs) because I haven't heard anybody else have that theory. And I, I think it's a crazy outlandish theory. And if I'm right then, wow, I, I am, I'm going to be excited. But yeah, I am, I'm probably not right, but we'll see when the movie comes out. But I, I have a feeling that that's what we're actually seeing in the movie and why that seemingly throwaway line is not a throwaway line, okay? So that's the previous war 100 years ago and why it matters. All right, <clears throat> having said that, going on to the rest of what we have in the trailer, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the various creatures that we see in the trailer because there there's a, a lot of people are talking about that and some of that's just you know 
already mentioned in articles where they explain, oh, that's a this, that's a this, that's a this. So I, I don't find that discussion interesting. The one thing that has not been explained is the weird fabric things we see flying through Paris. Um, personally, my personal opinion there, that is the apex of um, Credence Barebones' power. That this is him using the powers of the Obscurious, the Obscural inside him to do things. I'm probably very wrong about that, again. But that that's that's what I thought the first time I saw it. They showed it in relationship to Credence first in the first trailer. That's my theory. I may be wrong. I think this may be how Credence is allowed to live, that they found some way to isolate the Obscurus inside him, and that's and he's able to control it somehow. Because they're going to have to explain both how he survived at the end and remember, at the end of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, we do see this little sliver of a thing floating away. And I said at the time, I how much want to bet that's Credence escaping. But that's... that's um Okay, I, I'm going to call it now. Someone is going to have their life saved by drinking the elixir of life in this movie. And my money's on Jacob. That our, our favorite nomad is going to be the one that does that. Or it's going to be Queenie. It's going to be one of the two of them. And it's going to have unforeseen ramifications. I don't know what those are. But I, this is based on the line from Dumbledore. That it's a nice place to go for a spot of... You know, if everything goes sideways. Well, he we, from the symbol and the fact that we see the way it's used in the other trailers. I'm pretty sure he's giving him Nicholas Flamel's home address in Paris. That That to me seems like... The logical answer there but it, it may be too logical of an answer i think we are going to find out exactly how the philosopher's stone ended up in in uh, um gringotts i think that we are going to see geller grindelwald in his attempt to gather the um deathly hollows we already know that he has the elder wand i'm assuming that the invisibility cloak is with posse by this point, it would be not James Potter, but um, his father. Harry's grandfather would probably have it. Um, it's my assumption, at least at this point. And we don't know if he, if Dumbledore already. Well, no, Dumbledore doesn't have the resurrection. So, but any, at at any rate, I've seen some people speculating that this is going to basically boil down to the Hollows Part Two. I, I don't think that's the case. Because we know Voldemort got his hands on the Resurrection Stone later. And that it was apparently one of the Horcruxes the ring, in the ring that Marvalo had. That Mar Marvalo Gaunt had. So I, I don't think there's a chance that we will see the Resurrection Stone in this series. So I don't think that that's really what it's going to be about. But I think it's going to be a side quest. And that's why I think the Death's Head is going to figure into it. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's actually Death's head that whatever, maybe the wizard that created the, uh, oh, that's a terrible thought, but that happened a lot sooner. But maybe the wizard that created the uh, terrible, terrible Dementors did something to himself that imbued his own skull with magic, and he's the actual Death head. That could be interesting. I don't know, I'm, I'm obsessing over a thing that I don't know if it means anything. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're... 
Well, I don't think Jacob is going to suddenly have magical powers, and I don't think that they're looking for a way to give him magical powers. I do think that one of the things we are going to discover in course of this series is why some people have access to magic and don't, and that it is actually not in the blood. There, there's so much in the Harry Potter universe that goes against the idea, yes, magic appears to run in families, and yes, sometimes squibs are born, but I, I think that we're going to see that there isn't actually... We're, we're going to learn somehow through course of the story that it's not a genetic thing, that it's not literally something that's passed down in families, that it's something else. Yeah. And the reason I'm saying that is we see them looking at a family tree that seems to show that Credence Barebone is related to the Lestrange. That's interesting. Um, and of course, him being born an Obscurus, well, not being born one, but made into one. We don't really know much about his parents, so it is possible that his parents were squibs, and for some reason, he had access to magic. That Remember, the, the whole idea of an Obscurus is that magic is something inside them that has to flow or it gets pent up and becomes destructive. So the fact that we know that we see that happen with Creedence Sparebone, we know that that happened with Dumbledore's sister. I think we're going to get closer to a, an explanation of what magic actually is and how that spirit is that or that energy or however they come to define it is actually born in people. And I'm curious to see how that works. I think that I think that that's what we're heading towards. Because remember, Grindelwald did all kinds of experiments. The, the, the few things that we know about Grindelwald is that he tortured and experimented on people. He was kicked out of Durmstrang for the experiments he was doing on students. Now, what is he experimenting on? What is he trying to do? Well, he seems to have an interest in people in whom magic has gone wonky, right? We, we get to see his interest in the Obscurus, first with Ariana and then with Creedon. We see his interest in the Maledictus with Nagini, which I can't believe they just went out and said, yeah, they, that's Nagini. Um, I, I really thought that they would have saved that for the movie, but I thought it was pretty obvious in earlier trailers, so I'm not as freaked out that they did reveal that in this one. But there's two people in whom magic has gone wrong. And remember, a Maledictus... That runs only in the female line of the family, and it turns them into an animal. And so far as I know, it's not specific to a snake. That it could be pretty much any kind of family that it's a blood... I, I feel like we're heading towards the origin of magic, and that that's kind of Grindelwald's master plan, is to find a way to basically make everybody magic. Because you, you have to remember, he has, in his own mind, he sees himself as a good guy. And I think with the exception of Voldemort, that's true of most villains. And when I say with the exception of Voldemort, I think the Voldemort before he died, before he attacked Harry and died, probably thought of himself as a good guy, probably had some master plan that would have at least been justifiable in his own mind. I think that the Voldemort that came back was less than human and didn't have so much of a map. I think he was just doing and I think that that's uh, borne out through the story. At any rate, we know that Gellard Grindelwald is planning something. We know that he tortured people. We know that he ends up building Normengard and does terrible ex experiments on people there. 
my assumption would be he would also be looking at werewolves as well, right? So what was he, what was he experimenting on? What was he trying to do? Remember, he says in this trailer that they are the people who support love and truth, and anybody who doesn't stand with them is going to die. And yes, that's a dramatic villain monologue, and Johnny Depp delivers it quite well. But how can they stand for love and truth if his secret master plan is we're going to dominate the world? What if he found out that... If, what if he learned the secret origin of magic and in his mind he believes he knows a way to basically get rid of muggles altogether and have everybody be magic and have it be a magical world that they don't have to hide, they don't have to lie about who they are and he thinks that he can make everyone magic. And thus his experiments on the, with the Maledictus, with a... Yeah, I mean, it, to me it all kind of flows together as you can see my theorizing about this trailer is less what i saw in the trailer than what the trailer made me think about so yeah what does napoleon have to do with crimes of grindelwald if you think i'm crazy and i'm completely off base here let me know i would love to know what you think about any of this because at least right now these are just weird machinations in my own if you would like to leave me a message, you can hit me up on Twitter, but the best way to do that is to download the Anchor app at anchor.fm, and with it, you can do this cool little thing where you can call in and leave me a one-minute message. And if that message is clean, because I try to keep these podcasts clean, which means no cussing, and it's a good one, I'll use it on the show. I love doing that when you guys do call in. That would be wonderful. If you just want to hit me up on Twitter or on any of the social networks, you can go to projectshadow.com and there you'll find links to everything right there. If you want to support what I do, just look in the um, show notes for this episode and you'll see a support on Anchor. You can help at the $1, $5, or $10 levels. That really helps out a lot. If you don't have the money to help that financially, I understand that. That's fine. That's really cool because money's tight for me too. Like I get that. But if the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate the show, please rate either this episode or the series itself. That does help out tremendously. Okay? Um, yeah, I'm forgetting something. Oh, Patreon. <laughs> yes. And if you want to support everything that I do, not just this podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash cedorset and help me out over there. Any donations over there helps out everything, including my writing, which you can find links to at Project Shadow. So, yeah, that's everything. I could go on for hours, but I think this episode has enough in it to mull over. I may come back to this topic in future. I can't wait to see this movie, and I can't wait to see, that if, see if I'm all right. So until next time, have the fun. Bye.